Come on. Welcome to Life Blood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Bu White. Bu, are you ready to do this? Yes. All right, let's go. Bu is the president and CEO of Summer Classics. They are a pioneering outdoor living company. He's been named Entrepreneur of the Year. He's received Lifetime Achievement Awards, and he is the subject of the biography, a summer classic, the Bu White story. You tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, I was born in. You know, <laughs> we can just start there. Uh, no, um, I, I guess I'll start in New York. I moved to New York in 1972 in the in, in the fabric business, and um, I called on a variety. You know, one of the things that happened. You know, this pretty relevant to current day is there was huge inflation during that period and uh, much higher than it is that people are complaining about today. It's in the, you know, teens and twenties, you know, and interest rates got up to, I don't know, 17% or something like that. But you couldn't really borrow for a house. And I got to New York and I was a salesperson selling fabric and um, the, uh, I went to meet with vice president. I'm like fired up to sell fabric. He said, well, this is a little different. We're on allotment. I was like, what's allotment? He said, well, we tell the customers how much they can get. And we're sold out for two years. And I kind of went, well, that's not like selling. That doesn't seem like selling to me. (laughs) So, so I I started with that. And then, then we had certain things I could sell. And then I, I was very successful selling and, I think probably my most successful relationship, though, is my marriage, which is, uh, you know, a lot about what's in the book is, is, uh, is about my wife. So or my life with my wife or, or my near death experience with my, my wife. So that's uh, that's a, a large portion of what's in the book. Did y'all meet in New York? Great life, great wife, great life amazing wife amazing life that's kind of how i say it. i love it and did you meet in new york or how did you uh no, how'd that relationship start we met in college this is interesting because this is the first time she told me this story we met in college we started dating we stopped dating and then i saw her with one of my fraternity brothers that had uh cattle prodded me during while i was doing push-ups i don't know if you know <laughs> I mean, you know what a cattle prod is. So I was like, I was like, oh my God, she's with him. And I had, I said, God, why did I quit dating her? She's so cute. And I walked up to her. He walked away and I walked up to her and I kind of walked away from my date and started saying, would you date me again? And she said, yes. And then we started dating. We got what's called lavaliered in fraternity language. And then it's, it's lavaliered, pin, engaged, married. That's kind of how it goes. But then I took her out one night and she was acting really weird. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And I begged her to tell me, finally, I took her back home. I was like, we can't even have a date. This is crazy. You're acting really goofy. And she said her old boyfriend had called and asked to marry her. And I kind of went, well, that's a really short conversation. No, I'm dating Billy or Butte. And hang up. <laughs> so, and, but she said, well, I'm, I'm 
I always thought my father died and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, so, so what are we going to do here? She said, well, I'm going to date both of you. Hmm. I was like, great. <laughs> he wants to marry you. I want to date you. I'm like, I'm toast here. I have no chance. And so, uh, so she sees me. So I finally said, I'm done with this. I've got to get this woman out of my mind. I'm going to start dating other people. I started dating one of her sorority sisters and she saw me movie theater uh, right after Christmas and got extremely jealous and dumped the other guy and said, okay, I picked you. So, and she didn't tell me that until we're, I'm working on this book and she tells me this story. I'm like going, really? Why you tell me? Well, you never had. I was like, wow, that's, not, that's an important part of our no life. Kidding. So anyway, it was, uh, it was kind of a cool thing. And so how, how, how long have you been married? Uh, it'll be 50 years in July. Yeah, I don't look. Do I? <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. 50 years in July. So you've, you've had this wonderful career in business and this wonderful marriage to this amazing woman. Uh, what are the through lines between those two? Are they the same? Are they super different? Well, I'd say I said the through line is probably relationships. So, so building relationships in business or life, whether it's your friends or your colleagues or your uh, your business, uh, so you, you know, people you buy from, your vendors are very important for us. So, I set up the company based on uh, I had just called on Ralph Lauren when I was in New York, and he was just getting started, and it was a really different business model than. Uh, anybody else we work with because we were calling what's called cutters. These are people that cut fabric and sew into jeans or clothing apparel. And uh, back then everything was made in the United States. And so you had all these plants, all of the United States making apparel that all this overseas stuff, what didn't happen until uh, really the late eighties and the late nineties in China for the most part. And so um, when I called on him, I was like, how does this work? Because you don't really make anything, right? And he was like, no, we, we sub everything out. But we work on branding, you know, building the brand and what things look like. And then we have our specs and we have people that make stuff for us. But what it allows us to do is move with the market so we can get into any kind of product and move with the market. I'm like, man, that sounds great. And then when I got into selling, when I became a, I became a sales rep uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and um, you know, I'd be representing a factory that made a certain product, and then the market would change, and they'd come to me and go, like, why aren't you selling our product? Or like, you, you were selling so much before, you know. I say, I would say, well, the market's changed. I'm selling this now. Make that. I'll sell that. Or, you know, so we can't make that in our factory and makes aluminum furniture. We need, we can't make steel or wood or wherever the market's going. And I kept going, well, somebody needs to do what the market, you know, follow the market and get people to make the product like Ralph Lauren was doing. But Nike is this way. Apple is this way. If you look at what's happened since then. So, uh, so then uh, when I started my company, I wanted to get off the road. And so I started my company and I used that basis. I'm going to follow the market. And I would get really big with a supplier and I'd say, look, you know, if the market moves to something you're not willing to make or can't be competitive on, I'm moving 
don't get mad at me because I'm going to go where the market goes. And as a result, I moved from making everything in the United States to Chile, to Mexico, to now it's China, Indonesia. Of course, we, we make about 30% of what we, we sell in the United States, but we're also the largest importer in the state of Alabama. So, um, so we make in India, uh, not, not very much in India, but China, Indonesia, Vietnam, Philippines, primarily. What a, what a piece of learning from, from, from Ralph there. Like, yes, really. amazing. I didn't know that I would ever use that, but it's just kind of stored in the back of my brain. And when I got going, I was like, you know, I need to do it like that. Nobody's, nobody's. And then I, all my competitors were factories. They're what I call stuck in a box. You know, this, I have a box and it makes this amount of product and it makes this product. And I pretty much got to stick to what that is. And then the only way, and this is particularly relevant now because we have a crazy amount of order activity. And if you have a box, you have to make a decision to increase production, hire more people, add a second shift, or a really big decision, increase the size of my box, double the size of my box, buy another box to increase production. And that's a big investment and big decision. And almost all of my competitors have decided not to do that. So what happens when they get all these orders, double the amount of orders you typically get, would get. All that happens is they increase their lead times. So a lot of my competitors are already sold out through the year. They don't have any production. We're primarily in outdoor furniture, but we sell indoor furniture too. But most of these people are sold out for 20 weeks at least. Some of them are sold out until next December. And so if you think about you're going to get outdoor furniture and you wanted to buy their brand, they go, well, you can get it, but you can't get it till a year. And it's really, it's, I think it's going to really, the season hasn't started yet, but when it does, I'm going to go on. This is going to be a very interesting season for us because we still have product and most of our competitors don't, don't have any delivery. Fascinating. So how, when, when, as, as you are paying attention to the market and you say, okay, I, I, I love you partner vendor, but when the market moves, I'm going to be, you know, moving towards this style furniture. How do you recognize that and then get everything moving fast enough to actually be able to meet the need? Well, it's particularly difficult now because of COVID. You can't right. go overseas anymore and research suppliers. And we're in, the, we're in an incredibly fortunate position because we have set up an international uh, VP and his associates, and they could go look at factories, even though we're not there. And Zoom, I mean, Zoom has really helped. So we can go into the factory without actually being there. So number one, it saves us a ton of money because we're full of, we're, we had somebody in China almost all the time, or Asia all the time. And now we have nobody there. You can't even go, you know. So, and then we've opened two new factories and not without even being there. So it's really, and so we, we've increased our capacity by 100 containers a month, which is 1,200 containers a year. It's a lot of stuff. So we were able to, we're able to manipulate, to increase our production without, in the investment I was talking to you about, about building a new factory. So it's really, 
It's been incredible, frankly. I've been amazed by the whole that we've been able to do this because our other factories were unwilling to increase production anymore. They're like, well, this, when this slows down, I'm going to be stuck with all these people and have and machinery and equipment. And like, I, I just don't want to. I just don't want to increase production any more than I already have. So you were able to go out and find new people who would had capacity whatever it is at the current level yeah. they just you know so you know, all of it nice yeah. fascinating and so i imagine that that process has gotten easier just and let's just let's assume that that, that COVID hadn't happened and you're over you're you've got your boots on the ground was it is it significantly easier to do that today than it was 30 years ago or maybe College standpoint, it is, but I'd say otherwise, we would have probably sent the people in to start with to say, go look at this factory and see if they're capable of, of making our level of product. Because if you look at the way Asia was set up for the masses, it was set up for the Walmarts of the world, and we're making high end product. So when we, you know, when we'd go in a factory, we work with them on price and they were going like, that's really expensive. Your paint, we've been using $5 paint, a pound paint, and you want to use $20 a pound paint? Yes. Well, it's going to increase the price dramatically. And we're like, we're okay with that. We just need, we need it to last outside. Well, you're a perfect example in Phoenix, where the sun kills everything. Uh, you're, you're probably the scenario we use the most as a far as our test regulations for UV, so eight year, we're we're testing for eight years without starting to change color in Phoenix, in Arizona. I mean that's kind of our thing. You can put this outside in Arizona and it'll won't start, and we guarantee it for five, but it's really tested for eight without starting to change you know color, which is kind of a big deal. Yeah, there's no we, doubt about that. I can certainly speak from. So, so the whole theory of the company was set up to, that you'd have your outdoor furniture for 15 years. And number one, you'd like the way it looked. And number two, you go like, wow, I've had this stuff 15 years and it still looks like new. And that was, I always said it was going to take a really long time to work because I needed the consumers to tell their friends they need to buy this, that, it, that even though it's expensive, it's worth it because it lasts so long. And then the other problem was how do you design product that people will like today and still like 20 years? I kind of want them to, I kind of want to design stuff that makes them not like what they have. You know what I'm saying? The goal is to make the so much cooler, so much better looking product that when they come back in the store, they go, wow, my stuff looks really, uh, doesn't look really good. You know, So they're trying to, <clears throat> I want to throw it away. Because it still looks good, right? Or give it to my kids or whatever cases. Yeah. <clears throat> I love it. That's, uh, I mean, that's the same way that I think a lot of people think about the Ralph Lauren brands is that it's just, it's so high quality and you can keep it forever, but there's always new stuff coming out. So you want to get that also. Yeah. That's I think he does that a lot of color. We do, we do that on fabric as well when fabric is a relief. We design our own fabrics. So that's a really important part of what we do because 
let's say you're buying an outdoor sofa, the thing you're going to see the most is the cushion. So we're really <clears throat> already focused on <clears throat> making the making the fabric look really good. Makes sense. Well, Boo, the people are ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Um, well, I kind of touched on a little bit, but I'd say if you're, is your audience entrepreneurs? Because if it is, um, I think my biggest tip is, is, or for people that think they would like to be an entrepreneur, there's six qualities you need to have to do that. And if you don't have all of them, or if you and your partner don't have three each, there's six of them, then I would say don't do it. And it's a uh, visionary passionate, driven, problem solver. This is a big one, risk taker. And a lot of people, when I talk about this, well, a lot of people, I hit that one, they go like, well, I'm not a risk taker. And I, I would go like, hey, I used to put up my house every year for 11 years. I'd take all the equity out of my house. So, no, you know, you get a loan, but you got to get a home equity loan. So I would take the entire part of my home equity loan out of my house, put it in the company because I couldn't borrow enough money to uh, finance it during certain times of the year because I was seasonal. And I was going like, man, I'm like, this is never going to work. <laughs> you know, but, you know, that's a big, that's a big deal. Most people, I'm not sure. I think most people would not want to do that. Responsible is another one. And that's it. I mean, Visionary, passionate, problem solver, driven, risk taker, responsible. So if you have those six qualities, you know you can be a you can have your own business and and probably the, and the risk taker thing because I I had a problem I have an MBA in mistakes and I made a thirty million dollar mistake one time and most people would would probably walk away from that and in the book I had a twenty million dollar line with Royal Bank of Scotland and I started. Royal Bank of Scotland got in trouble and they started trying to get their money back from me. And I was like, and just during the Great Recession, and I was like, man, this is going to be the end of me here. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And so it's also pushing through. I think there's something called grit, you know, pushing through extremely difficult situations that you've got to have in order to uh, not give up, you know. And if, if you've got that, you just, if you don't have it, you need to do something. My answer was prayer. I mean, I prayed all the time, you know, like, like I always say, I didn't need an amphetamine to stay awake during the Great Recession because I couldn't sleep. I was so thinking about what and praying about what I could do. What can I do to fix this? Help me, give me wisdom, you know, to figure it out. I got through it and then I came out the other side and it turned out incredible on the other side well i think that that is great stuff that definitely gets come on yeah six qualities you need vision you need passion you need to be driven you need to be a problem solver a risk taker responsible and one extra and that is grit i love it well Bu, thank you so much for coming on where can people learn more about you we're gonna where can they get a copy of a summer classic the Bu white story one thing I didn't talk about is the, the it opens with me almost dying and then going through that experience. I had five blood clots in my lungs. And one of, by the way, I learned a blood clot in your lungs, heart, 
kidneys, liver, lungs, any of those places, brain can kill you. I was like, wow, these things are like bullets, you know? So I, it kind of, that's the opening of the book goes into the, I'm in the hospital almost done and then what happens. And then it kind of reverts back to that story. I tell you about college where I met my wife and the cattle, I, was, I say it has cattle prods, angels, and hookers in it. <laughs> and I said, I'll qualify that with my wife. Uh, hookers, not with me. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's make it people interested in reading it. Uh, Amazon, obviously, you get it on Amazon. And, the, and my roommate in college uh, was an actor, producer, director, and he reads it on Audible for Amazon. He's pretty good. I called him, I said, it sounds like you're crying in certain sections on there. Are you acting or is it, or were you really crying? He's like, well, what part are you talking about? I said, okay, you were acting. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and viewwhite.com, you can get, go there and they'll, they'll take you right to it. B-E-W, we kind of talked about viewwhite.com, white, W-H-I-T-E. Perfect. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Bew your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to bewhite.com. It's B-E-W-W-H-I-T-E.com. Pick up a copy of a summer classic, The Bew White Story, wherever you buy your books, certainly Amazon. Thanks, give you. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. Nice talking to you. Likewise. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together. <laughs>